Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. I'm looking forward to kicking off these next few lessons uh, that we're going to be talking about. I'm going to take a few weeks and, and talk about some ideas that apparently were just as needed in the early church as they are today. And, and um, as a pastor, I see the, just the divided and broken world, the fragmented world that we live in. And, and I think that um, these next few lessons, are, they're so practical and, and so needed, I think, in our society. And so I'm just going to take a few weeks and, and just teach on this because we live in such a, just a hyper-divided world. And this world and our society is just getting more and more divided every day. And uh, the people that lived in the first century that kicked off the Jesus movement, the early church members, um, they faced a lot of the same things. They faced intense racism. They faced intense tribalism. Um, exactly the issues that we see happening in America. It's, it's funny. that It's not funny. It's sad that everybody in America, it seems like, is trying to belong to a tribe now, right? I'm part of this group or I'm I'm part of that group, and if you don't belong to my group, well, then I can't see you, I can't hear you, you're evil, I'm going to attack you, I'm going to vilify you, and uh, I'm sure you know the midterm elections just happened, and I don't know about y'all, but my Facebook feed has barf all over it. Come on, somebody. And uh, just trying to cipher, you know, all the, the fake news versus the real news, and then there's news with commentary attached to it, which isn't really news at all, right? And there's Republicans out there, and they're versus the Democrats, and now the Democrats are versus the Republicans, and now the Democrats are against the uh, Democratic Socialists, right? That's the new movement coming up, and that's uh, being run by Stephanie's twin sister from New York. And uh, if you know that lady, then you can see exactly what I'm talking about. There's the never-Trumpers versus the people that say that Jesus put Trump in the White House, right? Do you guys know Jesus did put Trump in the White House? You're all waiting for the punchline, aren't you? There's no punchline. Jesus put Trump in there, and he put Obama in there. He put Bush in there. He put Clinton in there. Come on, can I hear a good amen? Somebody. Daniel talks about it. Roman talks about it. God sets them up. God puts them down. God is not biting his nails at every election cycle, wondering who's going to win. Oh, come on. Our God is so much bigger than that, and I refuse to be captive. Christianity doesn't care who's in power, amen. God is the one that's in power over everything, amen. Amen. But it's Christianity. We find it kind of being diluted and dissolved from our society. Really what we see is that our society is kind of resorting back to tribalism, to a time and a day when cities had to have walls. But the thing is, we all live in cities where you can't put walls around them. And, and so we build walls on Facebook and social media and in our friends. If you've been dropping friends like they're going out of style on Facebook, you know what you're doing? You're building a wall. Well, there we go. And um, we've wrestled this you know, early on in our country's history, and for sure, our country got some things dreadfully, horribly wrong, but ultimately the very Christian values and morals 
that has made America more welcoming and more prosperous than any society in history, those values, those Christian values that underpin and underlie our whole society and our societal fabric are systematically being stripped away. And I'm telling you, when, when humans have no calling to a higher nature, then we resort to human nature. And human nature is it's fear-driven, and it's selfish, and it's me first, and, and not you first. And so, you know, here we are on Veterans Day, and to all of our veterans that are here, to those that might listen to this later, you're faced with a dilemma as well, maybe even struggling with some of this angst and some of the, 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 the trying to figure out how to navigate all of this. And, and, you know, certain groups are increasingly trying to define our country as, you know, it's black versus white, or it's, it's Democrat versus Republican, or pro-immigration versus wall builders, or it's the Me Too movement versus all men. And people are falling for it. And we're being divided. We're being ripped apart. Thanksgiving tables this year will be divided torn apart by people trying to belong to different tribes instead of all of us recognizing our individual thoughts and actions and rights and responsibility. But I want to say to the City Grace family, and I mean this, I am serious about this, as Christians, we do not belong to any tribe except the tribe that welcomes people from every tribe. Period. End of story. Paul wrote to a church in Galatia, Galatians 3, 27 and 28. He said, all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And so now there is neither Jew nor Gentile. He's attacking racism right there. There's neither slave nor free. He's attacking social status and national status right there. Nor is there male and female. There's the division by gender right there. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You're one. You're one. I don't care your skin color. I don't care your background. I don't care your gender. You and I are one if you are in Christ and if I will remain in Christ. Amen. And so how do we navigate this, though? If we know this intellectually, if that's what we believe as Christians, yes, we're all one in Christ and there's none of these tribal divides. How do we behave? How do we, how do we you know, navigate this? And especially with Thanksgiving coming up, right? And, and we have to sit across the table from people that we didn't choose to be born with, but hey, we are. We're family, and we're together. And, and how, you know, do, we, do we sit back and not say anything, or do we open up and give people a piece of our mind? And we got to be careful giving away pieces of our mind. We might find ourselves with nothing left, but as usual, Jesus saw this coming. Jesus was way ahead of, time, of our times in terms of approaching the gap that exists between what they think and what I think, what they feel and what I feel, what they believe, what I believe, which ultimately is a gap between they and me. Jesus was way ahead of us on this. And so if you'll lean in these next few lessons, if we can't change our world a little bit, at least we might save Thanksgiving, all right? So we'll aim noble and maybe hit low, all right? And maybe even find us saved from our own selves. But have you ever done or said the right thing, but you did or you said it in the wrong way? Yeah, every husband in the room is like, yeah, I know what you're going to Have you ever done the right thing, but your rightness actually becomes wrongness? In other words, have you ever been right and wrong? Or maybe we put it this way. Have you ever been right and ended up apologizing? right? Like, what is that? We're right, but we end up apologizing. Now, for me, 
That happened at least 20 times in this last week. Happened again this morning. It's happened about 20,000 times in this last year. And so this message this morning is for Jared. And you guys are just here, and you get to listen to me preach at and to myself. And so I want some people to know. I want my wife to know. I don't know if Chelsea's in here. I can't hardly see anything. Chelsea, this is for you because I know that you listen to all my messages later on if you miss them live. This is to my son. This is to my daughter. This is to my sister-in-law. I work with my sister-in-law at church. This is to Lacey. This is to my parents. And they're not here either this morning. But sometimes I find myself full of my own rightness. Yeah, I find myself full of my own rightness. And if I can pause for a second and talk about this word rightness, there's a word in the Bible called righteousness. And there's an oversimplify. I realize there's a lot to, there's a lot of layers, a lot to unpack with the idea of righteousness in the Bible. But if you will allow me this morning, and I'll give you permission as well, and when you read that word righteousness in the Bible, I want you to insert the word rightness. It is your rightness, or it is God's rightness that he is trying to give to us. And a lot of times, Jared finds himself talking about himself in the third person and full of his own rightness. And since I am so convinced of my rightness, I will argue you right out of the conversation. And, and the people in my life, I've seen this happen too many times, but people will just disengage. They'll, they'll, they'll cut themselves off from the conversation. They'll walk away, whatever. And to give myself a little bit of a break this morning, I'm not the only one. It doesn't make me any better, but misery loves company. We all do this and maybe with people with more passive personalities, you know, you're not so forceful about it. But we all do this to some extent. And the reason that we hurt people instead of hug people is because we're both fighting, but we're fighting, it turns out, for the same thing. When you get into an argument with someone, when you get into a disagreement with something, you are fighting over the same thing. We both want to be heard and we both want to be understood. But isn't it funny that when we want people to hear us, we push them away? We want to be heard, and we want to be understood. And I'm saying, when I argue with you, that I want you to hear me. Don't just listen for a gap in my conversation so you can jump back with a response. Don't just wait for me to stop, to take a breath, so you can jump in with your quick reply. I want you to hear me. And what you are saying to me is that you want me to listen to you and what you have to say so that I understand it, that you want me to let you know that I understand what you are saying and it has merit and, and there is value to it, that I understand you. And we may never agree on parenting or, or career or we may get into disagreement with our kids and not agree on grades or goals or friends. And we might talk with some people in our lives and, and never really agree whether or not he is good for them or she is good for them or how to accomplish something. But we all want the same thing. We're all fighting to be heard and understood because after all, I can't stop my mind from building up arguments against you until I know that you have heard me. And you can't help but try and get the last word unless you know that I have understood what it is that you're trying to say. See, I want you to hear me before you speak to me. And then sometimes I just want you to hear me and not speak to me at all. Just be so overwhelmed by my brilliance that you just, you know, you don't. But at least, 
at least just hear me out first, and I'm willing to fight you over this. And so today, we're going to wrap our brains and our minds and our hearts around one idea, and this is going to change the way that we approach arguing and disagreements, and this is our takeaway for today, that instead of fighting to be heard, we're going to fight to hear first. Now, that kind of rhymes, right? Instead of fighting to be heard, we're going to fight to hear first. Ready? Say that with me one time. Here we go. Ready? Instead of fighting to be heard, we're going to fight to hear first. Simple, right? Maybe, maybe not. But 2,000 years ago, there was a leader in the Jesus movement who was way out in front of us on this, and his name was James. And here's the thing about James. He had, he had such a reputation for, for seeing the right thing happen, or maybe he wasn't just seeing it. Maybe he was taking part in it. He was making the right things happen, the right outcomes. Whenever there were disagreements, whenever people had two sides to something, James had a way of getting the right outcome to come about. He had a way of bridging the divide between people, bridging the gap between between people and making sure that people were done right. And it, it, he did it so well, and he was so well known for it, that James actually got a nickname, and he was called James the Just. We have historical documents that talk to us about this. And it turns out something else interesting about James, not only was he so good at getting right outcomes between people that he was called James the Just, but he was also the half-brother of Jesus. And I actually love this about James. I actually love this about the Bible story because James, the half-brother half of Jesus, when he shows up on the pages of history, he does not show up as a Jesus follower. He does not show up as a believer. He's a skeptic of his brother's claims that he is the son of God, just like you wouldn't believe your brother if your brother told you that I am the son of God. In fact, one episode, it's in the Gospels, we read about it. G, uh, James and, and, and his mother Mary, they went to go find Jesus and to bring him back home because they thought maybe he's been out in the desert sun a little bit too long. You know, we got to get you back home and kind of get you calmed down. But James was not a believer of Jesus all during his earthly ministry. And then after Jesus died, something happened to James. Something was seen by James and James was never the same. He was not a believer, and he was with his mom and saw his brother die on a cross. But then, not too long after that, he shared a meal with his risen brother. And after he saw the risen Jesus, James converted and became a follower of Jesus because he said, you know, there's something that I can't explain. There really was something divine about what my brother said and did, and he became a leader in the early Jesus movement in the early church. Now, you should know this because, again, James was not just like once upon a time. James isn't fairy tale. James is history. James actually happened. He existed, and he was the half-brother of Jesus. And we actually learn from a Jewish historian who became a Roman later named Josephus that sadly, ironically, James the just was unjustly executed. That's how he died. See, Jews weren't allowed to execute anyone when Rome occupied Israel, and that was what was that's who was occupying Israel during the time of Jesus and, and shortly thereafter. And that's what we even see in the, the story of Jesus, that Judas that betrayed Jesus, he'd had Jesus turned over to the Jewish leaders because he didn't think they could kill him, and they couldn't. But the Jewish leaders turned a lie and went and accused Jesus to the Roman 
leaders. And the Roman leaders, Pilate, Pilate was the one that ordered Jesus to be executed because the Jews could not. And when Judas found out that Jesus had been turned over to the Romans, that's when Judas went out and hanged himself. He committed suicide because he never intended for Jesus to be killed. He was just trying to jumpstart the Jesus movement. But after about 25, 30 years after Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected again, uh, when, and he left the church to his followers, there was a Roman governor, a new Roman overseer, or maybe an older Roman overseer over the area, and his name was Festus, and he died. And when he died, the Jewish leader at that time, because again, the Jewish leader was kind of under the Roman leader, but now the Roman leader's out of the way. And before the new Roman leader could come and be installed in power, the Jewish guy was kind of the guy for a little while. And he used that little gap in the Roman oversight to unjustly execute James. He hated James. He did not like James. James was telling everybody, I saw my brother back to life again after he died. He, James was telling everybody about the afterlife and the hope of the resurrection. Well, the high priest at the time, Ananus, he was actually a Sadducee. And he belonged to a religious faction called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees didn't believe that there was an afterlife. They believed that once you closed your eyes in death, that you never opened them again, that you were done for, that your life was over, you never had any consciousness again. They didn't believe in an afterlife, so they were sad, you see. And that's kind of a theological joke that my dad taught me way back when to remember how or just a way to remember what the Sadducees believe. And so he hated James. And so one historical source, Josephus tells us that Ananus had James stoned to death. And then there's another historical source that says that first, before he stoned him to death, he actually had James thrown off of the pinnacle of the temple, way high in the air, thrown down to the stones below. But James did not survive, or James survived the fall, and so they came to him and finished the job with stones and with a club until they had stoned and beat James to death. Now, these were religious leaders. These were religious leaders, and they clubbed James to death and stoned him to death. And that second account also tells us that when this happened, James, just like his brother Jesus, prayed over them, God forgive them, for they know not what they do. So James, the half-brother of Jesus, who enters the story as someone who does not believe in Jesus' divinity, ends up giving his life for the Jesus movement because he saw something. And after he saw something, James could never disbelieve again. But James was a leader over the church, and James had a reputation for making the right things happen when people were in disagreement. He had a reputation for wisdom and equality, and so he writes a letter to some of the early believers. This is over 2,000 years ago, and through history and through archaeology, we've actually found multiple copies of this letter, and it's collected for us, and it's in your Bible, and it's called James, and we get to see some of the values that James is sharing with them, and I think James would want to share with us that earned him the reputation of James the Just. And we start off in James chapter 1 and verse 19. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Everyone should be quick to listen, which kind of doesn't make sense. Like, how am I quick to listen, right? Like, I, I can't speed up my hearing. I can't put my hearing on fast forward. 
But, you know, and James is putting two words together that kind of don't belong together because he's trying to get our attention. That's what communicators do. And so James is trying to get our attention. How do we be quick to listen? And I'm, you know, I thought of it like this. Have you ever been headed somewhere, like you got an appointment or you got to head home after work or something like that? You're headed somewhere and you say, hey, I'm going to stop and put gas in the car real quick. Right, I'm headed home after work, but before I head home after work, I need to stop by the grocery store real, right? In other words, real quick. In other words, there's something very important that needs to happen, but before that important thing needs to happen, I've got something else that I need to bump to the top of the priority list, but I'm still acknowledging that that other thing's important. I just need to make sure that I do this first, and so I'm going to do this real quick, and so James is, it's like James is saying, I know that it's important when you speak to someone and, and you have a disagreement with someone, it's important that you get your perspective out there, that you let them know what's on your mind, what's on, what's on your heart, you know, and I know you want to dazzle everybody with your brilliance and, and dazzle everybody with, with your rightness, but before you get to that important thing, could you just listen up real quick? Could you stop what you want to say and bump your ears to the top of the priority list? And honestly, isn't this what we wish that others would do for us whenever we get into a disagreement? We want others to listen as we, or we want, yeah, we want others to listen as they would have us listen to them. We want them to hear us out first. We want them to hear us and understand us, but we want them to do it for us first, and they probably want us to do it for them first. Now, that kind of sounds like somebody else, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. See, this is the Jesus ethic just put into another example by another church leader. The early church did not have long lists of rules that they lived by. There was no 11th and 20th and 100th commandment, but the Jesus ethic that he had left them with informed every single part of their lives, including conversations where they were in disagreement with other people. And James is telling them to quick, listen up, quick, before you speak, quick, before you share your viewpoint, listen up. Jesus gave one command under his new ethic. Jesus took all of the commandments of the Old Testament and boiled them down into one thing that we must love one another as he has loved us. We have to do for others as or in the manner that Jesus has done for us. It's, it's a complete and total transformation of character that Jesus is trying to get us to experience. It's not another rule to follow, but it's so that we would become the kind of people who would put others first in every area of our lives, including, including, and maybe especially at points of disagreement with other people. So everybody say, be quick to listen. You want others to hear you? You want others to understand you? Be quick to listen. And then James goes on. And slow to speak. Slow to speak. That part's hard. Slow to speak. Like driving with the emergency brake on. Slow to speak. But that fits right in with our example because it turns out that the Greek word for slow there 
It, it's, it's like a measure of time in the sense of it, it carries the idea of being late to something. Be quick to listen and be late to speak. Be late to speak. Now, here's the thing about being late. It's pretty easy to be late. Some of y'all were late this morning, but you were quick to speak, weren't you, to those people that were making you late. Some of us are already planning on being late tomorrow. Some of our bosses have already planned on us being late tomorrow. It's easy to be late. Now, here's a profound truth for you this morning. It's even easier to be later. We can always find things to do to make us more late, can't we? Well, not only did I stop by the gas station to get some gas, I can go by Starbucks before I head over there too. I can be even later than just being late. I can bump tons of other things to the top of the priority list. I know I got to get there. I know I got to do that. I know I got to accomplish that. I know I got to say that, but I can put a lot of other things in there as well so that I could be even later. And here's the thing. If James was someone that others were just in awe of, if James was someone that other people looked at James and said, man, if you ever have a disagreement, go to James. If you ever need things put right, if you ever can't figure out a way around something and you're in conflict with somebody. Go to James, and James has a way of being just. If this is James's advice, then I would suggest to us this morning, let's really take James's advice. Let's be quick to listen, and then let's make ourselves really, really late to speak. Jared, that's a horrible idea. I want them to be late to speak so that they can hear what I have to say. I've got so much rightness in me. I've got to get it out. I've got to show them the error of their ways and tell them where they're wrong and give them my experience and my perspective. And James is like, uh-uh. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Put them first like Jesus put you first. Now, can you imagine this? Come on, come on. Can you imagine this in your next argument? You're fighting with somebody. You're disagreeing with It could be political. It could be with your family, your wife, your kids. It could be with your, your friend or your neighbor. It could be anybody. Can you imagine the next time you have an argument, if you let them speak first, and then when it seems like they're done speaking, you say to them, listen, I think I hear what you're saying, but I want to be sure that I understand you totally. Would you take a few minutes more and show me what you're saying from another? Give me another example. Just take your time. Can you imagine what would happen? That other person would just, they just pass out, right? They wouldn't even know what to do. Like, that's not how you have an argument. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, didn't you hear me the first time, right? They come out... With that stuff, right? But honestly, listen, I can say, I can admit this morning because I'm up here giving a confession. My worst parenting moments, come on, somebody, my worst moments of conflict in the relationships in my life, you know, the moments where you get your way, where you said your piece, where you made them sit there and, and take it and you threw in a because I said so, right? Especially as your kids get older, it just feels bleh. Like you know you were right, but it doesn't feel like you ended up winning. Something feels broken and there's distance now and there's ground to make up. And you know, I've got age, so listen, I've got experience and I've got wisdom. I'm a pastor. 
People ask me for my opinion. People pay me to share my opinion, and you don't even have a fully developed frontal lobe. Science. You sit there and take it. And it's like, hey, where are you going? People say, hey, why, why won't my kids talk to me anymore? Why don't my kids want to hang around me anymore? And if we're not careful, we can write people that we care about right out of the conversation. We can write them right out of the room. You can write your husband right out of caring. You can write your wife right out of trusting you again. You can write your kids into isolation and into secrecy. I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And we write them right out of the relationship because people want to be heard and people want to be understood and nobody wants to be talked at. Isn't it funny, right, that we're all willing to listen if we think that we're being heard? Everybody's willing to listen as long as they think that they are being heard. But we leave conversations or we leave meetings. We, you know, we've seen our kids' eyes glaze over, right? We've had our family members, the people we love, turn their backs. We've had arguments on the job. We know when people are shutting us out and we walk away from those encounters and those conflicts, shaking our heads like, I know I'm right. Why won't they just listen to me? And James is saying, take note. I'm going to share something with you that earned me my reputation. you got to get the priorities right. you got to get the timing right. And I know you've got something to say, and I know you've got an important point that you want to get to. But real quick, before you do anything, before you get there, could you just take some time and listen, especially, especially if it makes you late to speak. Be late. Be slow to speak. And James isn't done. He goes on. It says, if you'll get the first two things right, it'll make the third thing even easier. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If you can get the first two right, be quick to listen and slow to speak. It'll be easier to delay your anger. And here's the thing about the, being the kind of angry that James is talking about. It's, he's not saying that we should never get angry or that we never will get angry, but he's guarding against a certain type of anger. And we're going to see it in the next verse. But we all get angry at times. Some of us blow up. We're like dynamite with a short fuse, and we lit our own fuse, right? We put the chip on our own shoulder, and then we knocked it off ourselves. We're like dynamite. Others of us get sulky, and we glower, and we do everything we can to passively, aggressively manipulate someone else into asking us, what's wrong? And we want them to ask us, what's wrong? So we can say, nothing. <laughs> what's wrong with you? Nothing. Now, for the record, I'm not prejudiced. I get angry both ways. I blow up and I manipulate situations so that people ask me what's wrong. I'm very accomplished at both things. I'm good. I'm telling you, I'm good. But now, let me ask you, let me give you a scenario. This is totally an abstract scenario, totally just something I made up on my own. Can you imagine, and maybe this has actually happened to you, can you imagine one morning you, you're, you're on your way to work, you're on your commute, and you stop by McDonald's, you get that, piping, that, that cup of piping hot coffee, and it's got the little warning on there, warning, beverages are hot. Like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks, that's the way I ordered it. You know, like, appreciate the heads up there. And you're drinking your morning coffee, and... 
You're driving to work, and then somebody cuts you off, and you got to jerk the wheel, and you spill the coffee all over yourself, and you burn your hand, you burn your, your lips, you burn your lap, and you're thinking, you, you idiot. Right? You want to pull up next to them and show them they're number one. You're just mad. Coffee stains on my clothes. It's my new khakis. Got burns on your wrist. Now think about it. There's no quick to listen, right? We're quick to speak. Quick to let them know what's up. Quick to hit that horn. Going to go ride their bumper. Uh. How'd you like getting one space ahead of me, jerk? Right? I mean, just... Now, now, think about this. Same scenario. Got your coffee. Driving to work. Same guy, cut you off. Spill the coffee again. You still got burnt lips. Still got stains. You're still mad. But somehow, they are able to talk to you and to tell you, my child is in the back seat and they're having an, an allergic reaction and I'm on my way to the hospital. Or maybe they tell you, my father, I just got word my father was rushed to the ER and they don't think he's going to make it and I'm trying to hurry up and get there so I can say my last words to my father. You're still mad. Still a little upset. Still got burned lips and stained clothes. But it's a little bit different, right? Like something has changed. And here's what's changed. You learned their story. You understand why they did what they did. And what James is trying to tell us is the longer you listen, if you are first to listen and then late to speak, the longer you listen, the more you will learn and the less angry you will be. It's so simple. But we're so quick to speak and slow to listen. We fight over this, but today we're going to fight to hear first. And this next thing, this is so basic. It's, you know, it's just embarrassing, but what's most embarrassing is how easily, easily we forget this. You already know what I'm about to tell you, but let me just remind you of what you already know. Everything that everyone does makes sense to them. Isn't that deep? Isn't that deep? We should pass around the offering buckets after that nugget of wisdom. People don't, people don't do things for no reason. Everything that everyone does makes sense to them. But then it gets even worse. Everything that everyone says makes sense to them. Now, we're just talking about relationships, but let me talk about religion and faith for a little bit, right? I want to share something. You know, maybe this is religious, maybe this will be political for some folks, but one of the reasons that I hope to never judge anyone that comes into this church, I don't care if you're a guest here, I don't care how long it took you to get here, how many years, I don't care if you, you have questions about God, you're not sure, you've been hurt before, I don't, I don't care what you've done. I don't care your past. I don't care your history, what doubts or misgivings you might have about church or about Christianity. Everything that everyone believes or doesn't believe makes sense to them. And if I had grown up in your circumstances, if I had grown up with your challenges and with your pain, if I had grown up with your questions and your influences and your mentors and, and your you know, issues, then I would have ended up exactly where you are. 
And if you had lived in my story, if you had lived in my circumstances, then you would be the pastor and I would be sitting exactly where you are. Listen, everything that everybody does, everything that people say, everything that everyone believes, it all makes sense based on where they have come from. So be quick to listen and just make yourself late to throw out that judgment. Learn a little bit. So Christians, parents, sons, I'm talking to you, daughters, I'm talking to you, husbands and wives and fiancés and Democrats and Republicans and black people and white people and American people and immigrant people, listen to me. Be quick to listen. Be slow, slow, slow. To speak. Here's the thing. When we think, or even worse, when we say out loud, right? Anybody ever done this? I don't know how anyone could do that. I don't know how any when you hear something that just makes you mad, it makes you confused, you just you're you're irritated at someone. I don't know how anyone could ever say that. I don't know how anyone could ever believe that. Let me ask you something. In this scenario, who needs the education? Who in this scenario is the one lacking information, right? Let me give you a little hint there. I don't know. I don't know how they, well, maybe we need to find out how they could do that. Maybe you need to find out how it is that they could say those things or believe those things, but we're scared to do that. I might end up up understanding them. I might end up not hating them then. I might end up joining them. We can't have that, so I'm just going to stay in my tribe over here and build up walls and throw rocks over the walls and everybody on the outside, and me and my friends are going to huddle up and laugh and criticize them and say how stupid they are because I don't know how anyone could do that. I don't know how anyone could say that, listen, you have perfectly good reasons for believing what you believe. Guess what? They have perfectly good reasons for believing what they believe. You feel like maybe they're missing some information that you have. Guess what? They feel like you're missing some information that they have. So wouldn't it be good to at least hear them out? If we find ourselves confused and angry and bitter and judging, condemning all the time, maybe we should flip the script, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry about things that we haven't taken the time to learn. James the just, James that had earned a reputation of treating people with equity getting outcomes to come in a way that benefited both James, the leader of the early church, the half-brother of the risen Jesus is saying to us, "That's, that's how I do it. That's what I do. But he's not done. See, here's the thing. If we stopped right there, it feels a little bit like self-help. Like, I'm pretty sure you can get this out of Uh, What's his name? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I think there, seek first to understand and then to be understood. That's all in there. It feels like a little bit of self-help. But James is going to take us a little bit further than this. James is saying this is bigger than self-help. This is world help. This is what God intends for the church to adopt as its attitude and as its practice and its behavior in every disagreement. This is about the mission of the church. This isn't three steps to a better you. This is part of God's means to a worldwide rescue through you and through me. 
And he goes on. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because, he's going to tell us why, because human anger, and there he is, he's defining what he means by anger. Not just any kind of anger, human anger. Not every kind of anger, human anger. And we're thinking, well, wait, I'm human and I get angry. So all my anger is human anger. But he's given us a hint as what he's talking about. This may not be everything that human anger is and everything that human anger does, but some of what human anger does involves being quick to speak and slow to listen. But we're going to change this because human anger prioritizes you. Human anger prioritizes your ideas and your knowledge and your wisdom and your point of view and your rightness, your righteousness, your self-righteousness or self-rightness. That's what human anger produces. This leads to human me-first kind of anger. But let me tell you something about human anger, James would say, because human anger does not produce the righteousness, there's our word, the righteousness that God desires. Human anger doesn't produce the rightness that God is looking for. You can get mad and you can let them have it with both barrels because by God you are right. And James is saying that's not the right that God wants you to be. That's not the right that God wants you to be. Now hold on, hold on, hold on because I know none of this applies to you guys. I told you at the beginning I'm preaching to Jared. This is so convicting, so convicting. Would you guys just... You guys just sit by quietly. Let me talk to myself, all right? Jared, Jared, you can get mad. You can raise your voice. You can pull the parent card, the experience card, and tell your kids it's because I said so, and they'll just have to sit there and take it because they're the kids and you're the parent. Your wife Chelsea's going to have to sit there and take it because she's so submissive and humble and beautiful just like the Lord intended her to. No, I'm just kidding. She fights back. We got into a fight the other night. I had Chelsea on her knees. She was down saying, come out from under that bed and fight me like a man. Kids will just have to sit there and take it. Be so right. Chelsea will just have to listen. Take it. The church leaders that you lead will just have to sit there and take it. And the unbelievers that you know, you're going to prove them so wrong in their unbelief. People with different beliefs than you are going to have to sit there and hear your rightness, your brilliance. People with different opinions. You can research, Jared. You can know stats and you can know studies. You can shut their arguments down. You'll be right. You'll be right. And God will look down at the mess that I have made. God will look down at the walls that I have built and the influence that I will have thrown away. God will look down at what I have produced so harsh and cold and hard and unforgiving, something so lacking in compassion and lacking in warmth and welcome. And my rightness will be something that God never wanted, that God never asked me to have. 
And James would say human anger produces human rightness, but human rightness isn't what God wants. That's not the right right, James would tell us. See, the thing is, we want to be right at each other, but God wants us to be right with each other. We want to be right over and against one another. God is trying to get us to love one another, to forgive one another, to hear one another, to carry one another, to be there for one another, to support and to encourage one another, to walk with one another and to carry the load for one another. But the thing is, when we're trying to be right on our own human rightness, it's all about us. And you know I'm telling you the truth because you've been in an argument before. And what do you do with that argument for the next three days after you have it? You replay it over and over and over again. And what do you do when you replay that argument over and over and over again? You think of all the things that you should have said. We ask ourselves, why didn't I think of that? That was so brilliant. Why didn't I say that? I really would have got it. We think of better insults, right? Come on, we think of better points and, and counterpoints. And when we replay it in our minds, they end up throwing up their hands and saying, oh, you're so right and I am so wrong. And we feel better about ourselves. <laughs> we feel so smug in our rightness. Come on, be honest. When we're done arguing, we're not thinking of how we made them feel. We're thinking of what would have made us feel better. And so we'll win an argument and we'll lose a love. We'll win an argument and we'll lose intimacy. We'll win an argument and we'll lose closeness. We'll lose friends. We'll lose time. And most of the times it doesn't really feel afterwards, doesn't really feel like we won anything at all. I won the argument. Oh, that's great. Where is she? I don't know. She left. But I, I won. I won. And we can write the people that we love right out the door. We can win the argument and lose the relationship. And that is not what God is after. Jesus did not come to take your side. Jesus did not come to take their side. Jesus did not come to take sides at all. Jesus came to take over. And the biggest challenge to the authority of Jesus Christ in my life is my own pride. The biggest challenge to me loving others like Jesus has loved me is how much I love myself. You realize that Jesus did not show up to be right in every conflict. If Jesus had showed up to be right in every conflict, he never would have been crucified. But when Jesus lost his own trial... And when Jesus was crucified, Jesus won the victory over your sin and over my sin. When Jesus lost his life on the cross, he won eternal life for you and for me. And we did not deserve it. His goal was never to win an argument. His goal was to win us back to God. So 700 years before Jesus was even born, Isaiah predicted about Jesus that like a sheep before those that shear it never speak, so he opened not his mouth. Slow to speak. Slow to speak because he had been quick to listen. He avoided human anger and he prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. 
So when I'm in conflict and when I'm in an argument, what's the goal? What's at stake? What's most important? Being right at someone or being right with someone? Jesus didn't come as the way, the truth, and the life so that we could win arguments. He came to show us the true way to be right with God and with one another, that we would lay down ourselves for one another, that we would esteem each other more highly than ourselves, which doesn't mean that we think less of ourselves. It means that we think of ourselves less. Because we think of others first, we are quick to listen, quick to listen. And I'm slow, slow. I'm late to speak because after all, if the two of us aren't right, it doesn't really matter who's right. We've got to be right. We've got to be right. If the musicians could come this morning, James would go on, and I think this is where James just so nails, you know, what we're seeing today in our political and national division, all the tribalism going on. He goes on in verse 21, he says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Moral filth, that just sounds gross, just sounds sin, ugh, iniquity and transgressions and debauchery and all of these things. But the, the deal about this Greek word, it, it means to make filthy or to dishonor someone else, which means it's not a passive filth. It's not like you stepped in something and it got on you. It's something that you are picking up and putting on someone else. It is to dishonor someone else. It is to make filthy someone else. You use it to categorize someone as dirty and filthy and unworthy. James, the just, James, the guy that everybody loves so much that they gave him a nickname, would say, lay your ammunition down. Lay all of the ways and all of the words and all of the Facebook and all of the junk that you use to throw filth on other people. Get rid of it. And he goes on and he says in that same verse, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent I think, thought it was kind of funny, this Greek word evil, it's the Greek word kakia. Sounds like something else, right? Something that you might want to fling at someone else. And it means malice. It means the desire to injure someone else. Again, it's something not that we take on ourselves, but something that comes from ourselves and we put on someone else. Get rid of all of the moral filth and all of the evil that is so prevalent. This word prevalent means it's something that has become a part of your culture. It's something that's just in the air now, and everybody does it, and everybody participates in it, and nobody even really thinks twice about what they're doing. This is the junk on Facebook. It's so prevalent. This is the stuff on all the news channels and all the publications and all of the groups that you join. This is what we do to each other. This is, this is why gossip is so evil. That's why gossip can't be tolerated by the church, because all we do is we fling filth at each other. We dishonor one another. We injure one another and hamstring one another and make each other weak. And it's so prevalent, James said, 2,000 years ago. And in 2018, I would tell us the very same thing. It's so prevalent, moral filth, the evil all around us. So prevalent. It's kind of funny, too. The, the Greeks would use this word that they get prevalent from, and they would use it to describe the excess wax in someone's ear. It's prevalent. In other words, it's blocking your hearing. It's blocking you from listening. It's keeping the words and the ideas of someone else from getting in. It's keeping you from hearing someone else 
someone else's story. But James would say to us, be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Be late to speak. And I love what he says, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you, which can save you. And one last word play, and I'm done this morning. James is is so rich. I love all the layers that James put in here. Humbly accept the word. The Greek word for word is the word logos. Humbly accept the logos, which was planted in you. You know who or you know what the logos was in the New Testament? It's Jesus. Jesus was the logos of the Father. He was the thinking and the planning and the values and the heartbeat. He was the words of the Father that out of His overflowing love created the world that we now live in. And James would say, get rid of all your filth. Get rid of the evil that you keep putting on other people and humbly accept Jesus, which was planted into you. Humbly accept His humility and His compassion. Wasn't Jesus so good at it? Didn't Jesus listen to you? Come on, doesn't Jesus know your story? And because he knows your story, he has given us mercy and he's given us compassion. He's come to us with arms wide open and with hands not made into fists, but hands wide open with nail scars to prove that he sees us as we... Didn't Jesus humble himself? Philippians chapter 2 talks about that though he was God in nature, he humbled himself and became a servant to us and he even died. He never fought for his own rights. He never fought for his own rightness. He just let what he did speak for itself. And because he was quick to listen, because he was slow to speak, he has won my heart. He's won my affections. My life has changed. My life is transformed. And in spite of all my failures and in spite of all the things that I do wrong time and time and time again, I know, I know, I know that there is nothing else out there. There is nowhere else I could go. There was no one else I could turn to that will ever love me like Jesus. Like Jesus. Like Jesus. And it saves us. And it saves us. Saves us. Talking about going to heaven when you die, I'm talking about that, but something more than that. It saves us here and now. Saves marriages and it saves families and it saves relationships and it saves careers. It saves you from sticking your foot in your mouth. Saves me from eating crow. And we will be like Jesus when we can take the advice of James the Just. And be quick to listen and slow, late to speak. To get rid of all the filth that we fling at other people and to humbly accept Jesus planted on the inside. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.